The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Kit Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself, Matt Lane, Craig Scout, all get together to talk about the Chiefs. I mean, normally we're talking about games, but now we are talking about a new defensive coordinator. Steve Spagnuolo has been hired. Can I open the curtain a bit? This is a complete redo of our intro here because we had maybe been talking people out of some other popular names for a defensive corner that just didn't make sense. Right. We finished the pod, we drove about an hour just talking senior bowl stuff, and then boom, see the tweet coming through from Mike Garofolo. So we're just giving you guys uh, another redo of the intro here because, uh, yep, well, that's about how this has gone for us trying to cover the senior bowl. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and we will have some senior bowl conversation. Jake's a part of that as well. But uh, first, let's let's discuss Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, we're talking ourselves out of Chris. We were trying to talk y'all out of unrealistic expectations like Chris Richard, uh, like Brent Venables. Brent Venables. The, those, they, just, they weren't going to happen. And there's too many people out there right now disappointed, right? Probably disappointed with Spagnuolo because they didn't get Brett Venables, who's making $2.5 million as a defensive coordinator in a job he loves where he doesn't have to worry about anything at all or stress about anything at all and have job security for literally the rest of his life. I digress. Steve Spagnuolo is your defensive coordinator. I am completely fine with it. Craig, what are your thoughts? I, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. Yeah, now, I I would have been cool with a, a younger, hipper guy and everything like that, but I get the reason behind it. I get why the direction is the way that it is. He is a Jim Johnson disciple. That's, you know, his Andy Reid connection there in Philadelphia. He runs a, an aggressive, blitzing 4-3 under. I know a lot of people are concerned about that transition. Honestly, we'll get into it here in a little bit, but it's not that big of a transition for the Chiefs personnel by the way that he runs it. So this is a situation where I think they needed a guy that could be a little fiery, that could get guys amped up, that can put some guys, some personnel in good positions to succeed. He's got a little bit of a history of doing that. The personnel that he's used in 2007 and 2008, those are a Super Bowl championship defense. They had a good pass rush, but no off-ball linebackers, no real corners or safeties to speak of, and he transformed that defense into a very, very good defense. That's something that we might be able to see this, you know, this next year or the years to come. Maddie, what do you think? Yeah, and we talked about it before. I'm sure the other day, and I've been on Twitter about this hire makes sense. He's a disciple of Jim Johnson who was with Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Spags was actually one of the first DB coach, then LB coach there before getting that defensive coordinator job with the Giants. He knows Andy Reid. He comes from the same system of the guy that Andy Reid had for a while as defensive coordinator. The defense really isn't going to be that dissimilar in terms of personnel. It's the 4-3 under to 3-4 are very similar. Like I said, Craig said, we're going to get into it. He's a guy that is going to be able to run a defense by himself He's going to have the respect from the standpoint that he knows what he's talking about. He's been around the league. He's commanded rooms before with Hall of Fame players. So it's not like he doesn't have the experience coaching guys, doing stuff on his own. Yes, he was a failed head coach. Head coach, interim head coach are entirely different than just being a defensive coordinator. This is a guy that will have no problems running half of the team by himself, which is something the Chiefs absolutely needed when they're looking for a new defensive coordinator. Coordinator. 
And I think that was critical to what Andy Reid was looking for because Andy Reid does not want to be too hands-on with the defensive side of the football. He needs someone that he is going to trust to be autonomous on that side of the football. And the other thing about this is, I know people have been throwing out some of his defensive rankings. That, that is nothing to do with the talent on the defense. No one is really acknowledging the talent on the defense. Some of those teams did not have much to work with. The Chiefs will have plenty to work with. They will use this draft class to bolster the defense. And guess what? Some of these aging veterans might be interested in chasing a ring here in Kansas City. So I, I'm fine with Steve Spagnolo as the defensive coordinator. He's about as good of a move as they could have made that was realistic because some people, Bill Belichick's not leaving New England to come be your defensive coordinator. Some people's expectations are just way out, out, out of realistic expectations. So I'm fine with this move. Uh, Craig, you started study. You and Matt actually started studying some of uh, some of Steve Spagnuolo's defense from the past. What did you see? Okay, yeah, Matt and I yesterday since practices were rained out. It's been it's been a good little while here. Looking over some of Spagnuolo's recent defenses. Hold on, in drawing terrible diagrams, oh, I've got to teach on. you how to. I got to teach on. you guys how to draw. Diagrams. So here's the thing: Kent thinks that a center has to be a square, yep. which facts. just means he draws a bunch of extra lines. Big facts. And he didn't understand that we weren't diagramming a play or a formation. Just, I was it, literally just putting personnel on a piece of paper so that I could figure out where who was playing which linebacker. Still slot. unacceptable. So anyway, we will get. Kent was sleeping, so let's just let that go. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, this is a situation where the uh, the defense shifts. You're going to have a rush line or a pass rusher with their hand in the dirt to the non-tight end side. That's a guy that could be a D Ford. You're going to have a lighter guy that can do that. Next to him, you're going to have a three-tech. Chris Jones in that situation makes a ton of sense. He's going to be able to transition there. You also have an under-tackler, one-tech, that plays there. That's Derek Noddy, Xavier Williams, maybe some guys that are, we're looking at in the draft here. We'll talk a little bit later about them maybe. And so, and then you have a strong side defensive end. That's actually kind of a perfect spot for Breland Speaks to rush off of the edge there Hey-o. and be able to do some damage as a player. I think this Woo! benefits him greatly. Now, the, the thing that a lot of people are asking about from a 4-3 standpoint the way that Spagnuolo uses his strong side or his Sam linebacker is kind of a stand-up edge rusher. In 2016, when he had a very highly rated defense, that was Olivier Vernon, a guy that's a bigger stand-up rush linebacker. That, that could be a guy like Justin Houston if they needed to keep him still. He makes a lot of sense. They did task that position with some coverage ability on tight ends. I know nobody wants to hear that about Justin Houston, but it is a situation where they used him standing up, and then when they went into their base, they took the defensive end off and had him rush. And then on the second level, they had a Mike and a Will linebacker similar to what the Chiefs already had in Anthony Hitchens and Dorian O'Daniel. Anthony Hitchens has looked significantly better as a Mike linebacker in a 4-3 than he ever did as a Will linebacker in a 3-4. So there's not a couple, saying much. Yeah, it's not saying much, but there's a couple positions where Pro Bowl alternate Anthony Hitchens. Oh, gross. <laughs> the, the position or the players and the personnel that the Chiefs have actually have a few upgrades, I think, by switching to that scheme. Would you agree, Matt? Yeah, no, I think so. I think the big thing the Chiefs are going to have to figure out here is, first of all, with your Sam, Olivia Vernon is a bigger player than any of our current edge rushers. He's bigger than Justin Houston, yes. and he's better, and this is big praise, he's better than Justin Houston versus the run. He really is, especially what Houston was this year. So you're still looking for, you had a lot of options at your Sam, and this isn't to say that Spags has to play it the exact same. Some teams will have a little bit more of an athletic Sam, like a Miles Jack was often seen as kind of this kind of player that can run with a tight end in coverage. That's not what he was doing 
with the Giants, but that's also an option, a guy that can run and blitz. So you're not looking at Reggie Ragland most likely for this position because he doesn't fit either mold. You're not going to drop him down in the dirt to play the run or have him run with tight ends. But somebody like Justin Houston fits this role pretty well. We talked about D Ford on the backside is the Leo. He's your backside edge rusher. Essentially, he's holding contain on the backside like he pretty much already does as a stand-up rusher. He can stand up or put his hand in the dirt. It really doesn't matter from this. And he's out wide on the weak side. That's kind of where you want him. So you have a bunch of different things you can do here. It's The 4-3 under really is not that much different than a 3-4. People think it is. It isn't. This is the same defense that the Seattle Seahawks ran for a lot of time. They also ran a 4-3 over, but we won't go into that one. But it's essentially the same thing. You have a stand-up, lighter edge rusher off the weak side. You have a Sam linebacker that plays on the strong side as a stand-up guy, whereas your Leo on the backside just happens to have his hand in the dirt. That's really the only difference. On real rushing downs, you'll probably get somebody like Nadi or Xavier Williams. You're going to get that under tackle, the nose tackle off the field, and you're going to put in your strong defensive end, likely Breland. You're going to kick him inside and just play with two three techs. That's just kind of the way it goes. There's no issue. Another big thing here is Spagnolo, and it could have been possibly because of personnel, but I went back through a lot of years with the Giants. He doesn't play three safeties. He plays two safeties, he plays a third corner, and then he keeps his base linebackers out there a lot. Like he said, this, like Craig said, the Sam will kick down and rush, but he'll keep his middle linebacker and his will out there, which is kind of a good spot for somebody like O'Daniel because he has that coverage ability to be effective if he's dropping into short zones. We just got to see him get more comfortable in that role. So they're looking for only two safeties right now based on what we saw. And here's my fun nugget right now. You know who was drafted with Spagnuolo as the defensive coordinator and had his best season with him as his defensive coordinator? Who, Matt? Who also happens to be a free agent and play safety? Who, Matt? Landon Collins. I know there's some mixed feelings on Landon Collins around, but here's the thing. You put Landon Collins as your box safety right now, and it all depends what happens with Eric Berry, but his best year came playing as that box safety. We're talking four sacks, over 100 tackles. He was a machine, and he's essentially a guy that's play, he's playing kind of as your strong side linebacker once you have your Sam actually rush the passer after that. He was phenomenal in that role. Healthy Eric Berry would be phenomenal in that role as well, but Collins is kind of the one we're looking for. Craig, uh, real quick, from what you saw, what kind of coverage uh, are they playing with that defense that you saw from Spagnuolo? It's still mostly man coverage. Uh, He likes to press, especially since he is a blitzer. He likes to send guys from all over, specifically corner blitzes and safety blitzes. I mean, that's why Landon Collins got four sacks in in his best year there. This is a situation where they're going to play a lot of man. They're going to play a lot of three-match coverage, lots of pattern-matching coverage. That's what needs to happen against spread offenses. You know, it's getting harder and harder to get the athletes to defend all of these receivers and the route distributions and everything like that. So being able to rotate into a three-match is going to be beneficial for the Chiefs. Bob used it a little bit last year, not enough for my liking. Spags used it, I think, a little more. But, yeah, primarily man Okay, my last question for you on Steve Spagnuolo. Based on the personnel the Chiefs have right now, where are some areas that they're going to need to acquire players to make this thing work next year? It, it is solely at that Sam linebacker spot. If Justin Houston is still here and they trust him to make that transition and be able to do the things that he would be tasked with doing, then they can keep a D Ford out there under the franchise tag. That's a lot of money for both of those guys. Maybe you can find a guy at that Leo position, that pass rusher, in the draft that's probably a little easier to find than trying to find that kind of hybrid rusher on the other side. I believe Matt and I even discussed the fact that Anthony Barr would be a fantastic guy to put as that Sam linebacker, but not one that you're going to be able to get for any amount of money that's cheap. So it's going to be a situation where that enti- that position right there kind of hinges everything. And then at your middle linebacker, at your weak side linebacker, if you trust Dorian O'Daniel, he will be kept a lot cleaner 
than he was in the Chiefs 3-4, so he can have more of an impact there. But if you don't think that Dorian O'Daniel can stand up to the run, they have to get a Will linebacker in there to put next to Anthony Hitchens. Matt, do you have any, any thoughts on that? No, I think that's what you're looking for. I do think that the Chiefs will need another three-tech kind of player. I think Xavier Williams is decent for a rotational player there, but they will need somebody else, and maybe it will be a Breland Speaks kind of guy that can shoot over there, but they'll need somebody that has just a little bit more pass rush ability to take some snaps from Jones because, as we've seen, he's best when he's playing 60 to 70% of the snaps and not getting gassed, so they just need somebody to also jump in there. The safety play is also going to be very important. Uh, the safeties are major tack and corners are major tacklers for Spags defenses. They have always filled up the stat sheet. Part of that is because he's had terrible linebackers, but <laughs> terrible another part of that is just, that's the way his defense. It's very aggressive. Guys are shooting gaps. They're forcing players. Defensive backs have to be able to catch guys on contain. You know, get guys that are spilled outside. Finish the ball tackles onto the ground. That's the big ones that I'm looking for. One final question for you: Do you think this person? personnel will be better suited to stop the run than it with this kind of scheme than it was with what Bob was doing. Yes or no? And that's a hard question. I, I if, theoretically, if theoretically, this last year with this personnel or close to this personnel, is the run defense better? Theoretically, yes, and I think it's entirely because I think Hitchens is a lot going to be a lot more comfortable reading his keys in this sort of defense, and I think Dorian O'Daniel can stay clean and be able to, uh, you know, attack gaps a little more. Again, it's an attacking defense. It is a one-gap attacking defense. They're going to play very downhill against the run, and they're going to rotate that box safety in. He's going to play tight, so they're going to put eight guys in the box often, something that Bob didn't necessarily do all that much. He kind of relied on his his base front of seven guys to handle business a lot of the time. So this is a situation where, yes, I do think that there is a potential for a massive run increase. It certainly can't get worse. That's going to do it for the Steve Spagnolo conversation. We are going to go ahead and move on now to some Senior Bowl and draft discussion. Let's kind of transition now. It's time to talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl. And I think what we'll start with, because I think some of the things we want to talk about anyway come from some of these questions that we got. So let's just kind of jump into some questions here. Uh, Jake is with us as well. Uh, and we can bring him in now too. Hi, Jacob. Hey, guys. Great discussion on the uh, defensive coordinator talk. <laughs> Um, let's let's go ahead and just answer some of these questions. Uh, Grant Tuttle asks, are there any mid to late round running backs that you are particularly interested in? Gregory, why don't you start us off? Oh, man. You know, the, the guy that I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma, he's, he's glass, he's breakable, very breakable, but if that guy can stay healthy, he is a round one talent just with a round five or round six probably undraftable <laughs> body maybe. So yeah, he's a guy that's probably going to just fall completely out into day three. Somebody's going to take a flyer on him. I, I wouldn't mind if the Chiefs did. With Damian Williams, you know, coming on here at the end of the year, I think a guy like that could be brought in. If he doesn't work out, you're just spinning a late round draft pick on him and you can move on. Jake? Um, yeah, three guys. Two that we saw this week. Um, I'll just pick one. Never mind. Uh, one that we saw this week is uh, uh, Tony Pollard from uh, Memphis. I uh, really like what he does um, in the run game, also the passing game. Um, he's a guy that I think you could line up in the backfield. He also he played in the slot for Memphis as well, so he could be a fun little piece um, for the Chiefs to throw in there. He's a running back with wide receiver ability, supernatural hands, runs good routes. Um, so he'd be a, he'd be an interesting option probably probably day two or three, late late day two, early day three. Yeah, and I'm going to follow kind of the same model there as Pollard and go with Wes Hills out of Slippery Rock. The thing I like about him, he's a late day three guy for sure, but he showed some promises a pass catcher and then in pass protection. And in case you guys haven't really paid attention to my running back takes this offseason, I don't think the Chiefs need another runner as a running back. If we're drafting somebody, it's going to be a little bit more dynamic guy in the pass catching department. And not that Damian Williams hasn't been that, just that's what I'm looking for if the Chiefs are going to use a draft pick on a running back right now. 
now. So I think Wes Hills need to watch a little bit more tape. He's coming from a small school. He's very high cut, but he looks pretty natural catching the ball. Like I said, I liked his pass protection probably better than any other running back that we saw down here in Mobile. And I'm going to go with the guy that's struggling pass protection here at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> he's another day three prospect. Bruce Anderson from North Dakota State. I thought he, he and Tony Pollard were the best route runners here at the Senior Bowl. I think uh, Anderson has really good hands, soft, natural hands. Had a chance to talk to him this week at the Senior Bowl. Really liked talking to him. He's going to have to get better in pass pro. And I'm going to have to go back and watch some more of his tape at North Dakota State because I didn't see it as a big glaring weakness in his game. But he, he really struggled in pass pro. But as a pass catcher, as a route runner, I do agree. I think that's the kind of guy that the Chiefs need to be trying to identify. Um, someone with a little bit more dynamic ability. And, and Bruce Anderson definitely fits that mold. Uh, at KCDave85 asks, any defensive players that should be available to Kansas City in the first round stick out to you? Craig, anybody that really stuck out to you here? Here in Mobile, it's if Montez Sweat falls, which I, I think he, he ended up climbing this week based on his weigh-in, but not necessarily based on what we saw on the field. He's a long guy. He's got some ability to rush the passer. He's just not very flexible. He kind of wins more with power. I think he's a guy that might fall if he doesn't test particularly well, but he, he definitely looks the part. He's got some good tape there at Mississippi State, so... I, I think that if he fell, that would be a fine guy for the Chiefs to take at edge that we saw this week in the senior bowl. Um, I'm going to give you one more running back because no one else took him, but Miles Gaskin, Washington, would be another solid running back pickup for them. Um, but the the uh, the defensive player that I thought really stood out this week um, that I think would be fun for the Chiefs is Dylan Mack, the, uh, the D-tackle out of Texas A&M. He was a former number one recruit coming out of high school, five-star recruit. Um, he's a squattier guy, but he would be interesting for me just because we've kind of seen that the way you beat the Chiefs is by running the ball on them and controlling the clock. Um, so get, taking a guy like that that really has the potential to be um, kind of a shutdown guy in the middle of the field, stopping the run, um, putting him next to Nadi would be really interesting for me. I think he actually has a little bit more ability than Nadi as far as uh, being a pass rusher as well, um, but he just was uh, at times just immovable this week in Mobile, so he'd be an interesting one for me. And that's more of like a day two guy for you, right? Yeah. Okay. Matty? So a defensive guy for the Chiefs that might fall a little bit at this point in time is uh, Nasir Adderley. He just didn't have a bad senior bowl by any stretch of the imagination, but being a safety down here in Mobile for these practices, you're not getting tested a lot as a safety. He spent a lot of time kind of in man coverage showcasing his ability to cover slot receivers and tight ends, and he just didn't look the most comfortable in man-to-man -man coverage, which is fine. You're, I don't think you're drafting him to play there. I know that was an option according to Jim Nagy and just talking about him leading up to it, but he's more comfortable as a safety. He looks like it. I like his physicality. He definitely comes in a little low for some tackles, but he's not afraid to mix it up with fullbacks or pull into blockers in the hole. So Adderley's the big guy I'm looking at. He had a huge play this last day where he just blew up a screen by taking the blocker directly back into the receiver. He's just a guy that I think a lot of people expected to look a little bit better down here in Mobile, and he was fine, but that might cause him to drop just enough to get in the Chiefs' range there at the end of the first round. I'll throw a Amani Oruarie, the quarterback from Penn State. Um, I I think he I think he had some struggles at times this week, but he came on really strong this week, like on day three. Uh, he was the last practice we got to watch. The guy's physical, long uh, ball skills. I think he really did a good job of locating the ball most of the time this week. There was uh, I really was kind of curious to see how he would do in off coverage, and I think he got better over the week in that as well. He's a guy, probably one of my favorite interviews throughout the week. I talked to him for a couple minutes this week as well and uh, came off really well. Uh, that's a guy that I think for me might have, I think my opinion might have kind of changed a little bit with him. I think I like him a little bit more than I initially thought. So uh, really fascinated by him. At Shindo867 asks, should the Chiefs tar target Debo Samuel in the second round? Uh, a defensive player in the first should be a priority, but our wide receiver court got banged up throughout the year. The Chiefs will probably lose Chris Conley. Uh, Jake, I know you're kind of the wide receiver guy here. What did you think about Debo Samuel throughout the week? I mean, the 
short answer to that question is yes, they should. He's awesome. He, I thought he was uh, clear-cut the best wide receiver here. Um, one-on-one coverage is fun for him to watch, to, to watch him just because he's so hard to guard that way. And um, knowing how the Chiefs like to spread people out and get people in one-on-one matchups, he'd be a really fun fit for the Chiefs. Um, so I think he's going to go, yeah, second round. And honestly, after this week in Mobile, depending on what some of the underclassmen do at the wide, wide receiver position, um, right now he might not even be available late second round. Um, but if he is, yeah, I, I don't think the Chiefs should hesitate, depending on who's on the board. And obviously it's January, so um, a lot can happen between now and then. But uh, the short, the short of that question is, yeah, I think that would be an excellent fit for the Chiefs and an excellent pick. Uh, at K Gumminger asks, and I'm going to ask Maddie this: How good is the depth of this draft overall? So the draft is a little weaker at the top end. I think you've heard a lot about this this year. It's not a super strong draft at the top end. There's some definitely some guys at certain position groups. I think the top end, the key to the offensive line and some pass rushers is good. But it falls off pretty quick most places. So when you're getting to the depth, I think the more people are digging into this, you're starting to see a little bit deeper of a draft class, especially positions that were once seen as kind of weak. You got wide receivers. You got some more offensive linemen. So the depth looks better and better each time people start digging down into it. Like, even looking at wide receivers, just to bring it back to the Senior Bowl, a guy that nobody really talked about at all leading up this week, Terry McLaurin, was probably one of the most impressive guys here. I think he made himself the most money, and I'm not certain that he wasn't brought out here just because of how good he was on special teams. And he comes out here, and besides Debo, he's probably the most impressive wide receiver to me just with how good he's releasing off the line, shows his strong hands, his breaks and everything like that look fantastic. So just seems like every day you're getting a new guy kind of popping up on everyone's radar and when you have somebody that looked that good at this level of competition you know the highest level of seniors show up out of nowhere that just kind of bodes well for the overall depth of the draft uh craig i'm going to ask you this question uh what position group has the most depth and that's a question from gavin nooks uh what position group has the most depth you think i think that the position group that has the most depth might be an edge rusher so much top end talent, it does fall off a little bit. But there are there are some guys that uh, that might be able to you know be picked up late in the second that, that would be guys that are earlier uh, earlier draft picks. Uh, O'Shane Simmons out of yeah. Old Dominion is a guy that could be a late day two guy. He was here at the Senior Bowl. We saw and talked to him. He's got a full tool set. He is a fully equipped pass rusher. He has a plan. He, he really knows how to use all these tools. He just needs to put it all together in a rush plan. Jalen Jelks from Oregon had some really good reps this week. He's a nice, long prospect out of Oregon that really wasn't, uh, didn't really get the kind of coaching at Oregon and were a real true position there to where he could rush off the edge all the time. Or DeAndre Walker out of Georgia, who seems to be kind of a midday two guy. Those guys are guys that are like maybe edge seven or eight or nine, and and they they've got some pretty top end talent. I, I tend to agree with that. I think you know the, the depth of the edge class is even continuing to kind of rise and get better and better. It's it's a fun group, and uh, you know I, I I'm very fascinated to see how that plays out here in April. Uh, Jake, I'm gonna have you answer this, or uh, Matt, I'm gonna have you answer this question because this is your guy. Oh boy, at Hawkeye Bears fan, wonder where this is going. How uh, how did Anthony Nelson look? Did he have an impressive week. So yeah, Anthony Nelson was interesting because I got to talk to him before practice started, and he was pretty clear with me like he hadn't played inside at all at Iowa. They pretty much kept him out at edge all the time. He said, you know, he's taken a few reps there, but nothing. He's never really played there. So at Senior Bowl practice, anytime I'm walking down towards the one-on-ones or even in the team, he got a few reps outside, but he was getting more reps there coming in on the inside. And as an interior rusher with his length, he looked really good. He did a good job using his length, getting up and under guys, getting leverage. And he has a nice little shoulder dip. Like He's not the most flexible player. He's not going to drop his ankles and bend, flatten out, and turn a corner. But he's got a nice little shoulder dip for as tall as long as he is to turn a corner. And he turned it tight a couple times on the inside. So I was real impressed with him showing that outside to inside uh, just comfortable ability to transition there, especially after saying he hadn't done that in college at all. Okay, I'm going to ask this for everyone. So we're going to go around the room on this one. This is a good one. Uh, at Zach Faeva asks, who's 
I believe Kent interviewed him. He was a deer in the head in the headlights. He really was. He was scared. Like it, it, this all was very overwhelming to him. He got out there day one and was the grabbiest cornerback that was on the field. He was pulling guys down 15 yards down the field, got a bunch of flags. He was a guy that looked really rough, but over the past two days, with today especially, he got better matchups. They, they kept putting him on a better quality receiver, and he held his own really well, actually. A lot of off-man coverage. He, he does have some length to him, but he really kind of stepped it up as the week went along. He was a guy that there's no film on coming out of Washburn, so I didn't know what we were going to expect, so the initial impression was poor, but he really, as he got more comfortable, he showed that he can play and that he can play with these guys. Jake? Uh, I think that's an easy one for me. I'm going to go with Penny Hart, who, if you're following along on Twitter at all, he's kind of been the darling of this week, and coming into it, uh, my initial grade on him was sixth, seventh round. Wasn't really impressed with him. I thought he was the guy that didn't really run routes um, at Georgia Southern. He really just kind of caught the ball underneath um, and was kind of manufactured catch. It. He, he caught a lot of manufactured balls. Um, but I think he showed here this week that he's got really good feet. Um, his routes actually were pretty crisp. Uh, he's shown the ability just to get open and get open often. Um, but one thing, I, can I rant just for a second? Go for it. Can I rant just for a second? Don't ask permission. So... so I don't understand this. So Penny Hart came into the week kind of an unknown. Andy Isabella came into the week as a guy that people were kind of talking top 100. They had the exact same week, like literally the exact same week. They both showed that they're going to struggle if the ball is thrown to them outside of their frame. They have a tiny catch radius. Both of them do. Okay, so we have that. That's clear. They both are really choppy in their routes. They're both really fast. They're both really sudden. They both run good routes. But for whatever reason, like one person tweeted yesterday, Andy Isabella is struggling to catch the ball outside of his body. He likes to pin it to his chest. He's a body catcher. But guess what? So is Penny Hart. <laughs> okay? They're both, they're the same guy. They are so similar. But we're coming out of this week saying, and I'm doing it right now because Penny Hart looked good. But so did Andy Isabella. So make sure you're just paying attention to that if you're just following along on Twitter. Andy Isabella is fine. Both of those guys are going to offer kind of the same thing to an NFL team. But the expectations coming into this week, Andy Isabella's probably were higher. And Penny Hart was just kind of an unknown. But they both had good weeks. So that's just kind of something that we've even been joking about. Um, like today, today <laughs> at practice, every time Andy Isabella caught the ball, it got a laugh out of it was like the easiest laugh to get just to make oh body catch, body catch. Um, so that's just silly uh, make sure you pay attention to stuff like that uh, we could probably talk about being at the senior bowl and just kind of how people see different things throughout practice but we could spend a whole entire other podcast on that but back to my original point penny hart has had a good week he has surprised me um, i'm definitely gonna have to change his grade and go back and watch more on him since I already used Scary Terry McLaurin, you're going to get another guy now. And I wanted to do Iman Marshall, cornerback out of USC, but I can't not talk about my guy LJ Collier, defensive lineman <laughs> at TCU. And he's just been my guy. I only got to see one game of him. It was hard to find film of him. I guess TCU's defense being a little down this year, there just wasn't as much film floating around as years passed on them. But, man, when you watch the film on this guy, he plays powerful. He's got good hands. I mean, they're super strong. And out here, that's what it was. You could hear him make contact with guys when you're watching from the stands. You could hear him talking from the stands. He's nonstop chatterbox. Definitely part of the all-chirp team this year, 100%. But what he does best, and I love it in his rush, is he maximizes his length every single rep whether it's a long arm to the chest how he just kind of rotates his body with just one arm even when he bull rushes guys he just gets his arms out quickly and gets them all the way out there so he doesn't have the longest arms but he plays the longest out of anybody out there right now and he was just killing it all week long from inside outside I mean he's not the most explosive or dynamic pass rusher you're going to see so you're not going to line him up at the end and expect a double digit sack kind of year out of him but as a strong defensive end a guy that sometimes kicks inside he plays with good power good pad level and I'm really excited to get back into his tape once I can find more of it because he really surprised me out here just the way he was able to use his hands consistently against this very good offensive line group I'm going to go on to the offensive line group because it's a guy that you know Maddie really kind of put me on to here the last couple days Juma Idoga a tackle from USC uh he's 6'3 6'4 a little under 300 pounds uh and I really didn't have 
have any expectations for him coming into this week, but his feet are fantastic. His, uh, he uses his length extremely well, and I thought he was probably one of, if not the best, pass blockers in this entire group. Uh, just really impressed by him. I, he kind of came out of nowhere for me. I, hadn't, I haven't watched any of his tape. Uh, just really just came onto the scene. Wasn't really even getting a ton of buzz out here, but man, I think he's made himself a lot of money. Let's go ahead and ask this question. Who has been the most disappointing player for you this week? Well, for me, it, it's very easy because I put my name on this kid not uh, two, three days ago when we were doing our initial pod. Jermaine Pratt out of NC State. The linebacker. The linebacker had probably the worst week of anybody here. What One of them, that's for certain. And there was a lot of high hopes. He was a potential top 100 player, long kid, safety convert, you know, down to linebacker here. But my goodness, he could not be more rigid in his turns. He could not be worse flowing to the play. He could not be worse in coverage. He looked like a guy that had never played linebacker before. It's completely different than what we saw on tape at NC State. He just looked so awful this week. He was outmatched. He was almost universally the worst linebacker that was here this week. So that was really disappointing for me to see because I was excited about his potential coming into this week. Yeah, uh, yeah. for me, I think it's Andy Isabella. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just a, he's the body, body catcher, catcher. So, body catcher. you know, he's, he's not good. Um, no, that's actually... That's the guy that I think was the biggest disappointment to me, and I wasn't really expecting a lot out of him anyways, but he just was really bad, was uh, Jalen Smith, the receiver out of Louisville. Um, thunder. Yeah. You hear the thunder. He just, uh, I don't know, he just didn't really do anything good. He looked like, he, he kind of looked like he was out of shape. I knew he was a bigger guy, but he... Being a bigger guy, it wasn't. It didn't look like good weight, and that kind of started early on at the weigh-ins. Um, the the second day, we didn't get to go to the practice, so we got these practice reports from like one of the media personnel, and this guy threw such heavy shade at Jalen Smith. He said, you know, obviously it was it was thundering out really loudly while they practiced. And he goes, at one point, we didn't know if it was the thunder coming from outside or the ball bouncing off of Jalen Smith's chest. <laughs> um, so that was that was just kind of how his week went. And he's a guy that I think he probably went from a day three pick to maybe not even being someone I would I would even want to draft. So he he had a rough week. He was disappointing. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Jalen Smith, Mr. Jalen Thunderclap Smith from Louisville. Thunderclap. I have a few guys, but I'm gonna limit it to one this time. I won't cheat this time around. But for me, it was Charles O'Minihue. I think he was picking up a lot of steam down the stretch, and I kind of watched him beforehand, and I liked him. He's a good player, but he was picking up some like moving into round one hype. People were talking about him as like a true edge rusher, turning the corner, showing off his flexibility and explosiveness. So I got down here kind of hoping to see it in person, hoping to be wowed because I didn't see it on the film and I thought maybe I just watched the wrong games. I still didn't see it down here. All his best reps came from working on the inside as an interior defensive lineman or an inside counter from outside. It looks like he just struggles to get the corner. He's got super long arms. He softens the corner at times, but even when softening the corner, he just has a hard time flipping his hips around tackles. Chuma Adoga specifically rode him around the edge over and over again, even burying him on the ground a few times because he just couldn't keep his feet. I was just hoping to see a little bit more from him down here based on some of the other hype, which is fine. He's still a good player. He still very much deserves to go sometime on day two, especially with his versatility. It's just... I was hoping to get wild by him coming up into the first round. And unfortunately for the Texas Longhorn edge-rushing interior guy, I just don't think he had that kind of week. Hopefully he turns it up in the game because that can make a huge difference. But right now I still see a guy that's better off as a strong defensive end again or another kind of five-tech guy that's a good pass rusher on pass rushing downs for an interior defensive lineman. For me, it was a guy I literally watched on the plane on my way to the Senior Bowl, and it's Marquise Blair, the safety from Utah. It started at weigh-ins. He weighed 180 pounds. He doesn't look like a guy that's going to be able to really carry a ton more weight. Uh, he 
day today. I didn't. I didn't notice anything. I didn't. I didn't notice anything. But um, you know, I thought he got bullied at the top of routes. Uh, I don't think he turned and located the ball well at all. Uh, it, it, it was just a really poor day from him, and I, I came away very discouraged by by that. Um, okay. One more. This one's quicker. Um, but one guy that stood out to me, too, that I was a little bit disappointed with, and I don't know how you guys feel about him, but Andre Dillard, the O-tackle from Washington State. Uh, not that he was terrible, but I just expected a guy that's getting top 20 buzz to be a lot more refined than he was today. I just wanted to throw that in quick. Yeah, I had high hopes for Dillard. I was kind of the guy that graded him first, and I actually put a pretty high grade on him. Not a first round, but a high grade based on his pass protection ability. And he wasn't bad there. It's certainly his strength, but he didn't wow me at all here either. His feet were good, but he wasn't great. And I'm throwing out one more, and I'm going to keep this even quicker. Chris Boyd to me. Oh. That was a rough one. I'm surprised we made it around the car without getting him in there, judging by the audible size. I just don't want to talk Here's the thing. Just on film real quick, he can look like a first-round player or he can look barely draftable. And for much of this day, we got barely draftable player. He's just so physical at the line of scrimmage with no ability to recover. Even once he wins off the line of scrimmage, he just has a hard time recovering. So Chris Boyd definitely goes on this list for me. That, that explanation actually wasn't quicker than Dillard. So just, just right there. It's quicker than my first one, Ken. Okay. So keep throwing shade. <laughs> okay, I want to ask this question. Give me a guy. A day two or day three guy that you saw here at the Senior Bowl that you would love to be a Kansas City Chief, Gregory. Uh, so let's many. go with uh, Rock Yassin. Rock, I, I kind of had big expectations from him. A Temple cornerback. I, I, yeah, I think he was still pretty clearly the top corner that was here this week. I just kind of expected him to handle some of these receivers a little bit better than he did. It definitely was a step up in competition for him. And like uh, like he told us when we interviewed him, he said that they were going to have him focused on working on off-man coverage because he is a very physical press-man corner. He definitely looks much better in press. I think he's a guy that could fill a serious need for the Chiefs and a guy that can be there in day two. I, I wanted him to have a little bit better week than he did, but he still was the best. He was still the cream of the crop amongst the quarterback class this week. He was my favorite interview, too. I oh, actually so great. liked him. He was so great. So, yeah. that, I mean, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. He didn't have the perfect week, but I actually still, I think he came away with I came away with positive feeling about him. Jake, uh, guy in round two or, th- or in day two or three that you would love to see on the Chiefs? Two guys, but I'll talk about one. Uh, Jacoby Myers, in, uh, the wide receiver from NC State, He's, uh, I like him a ton, but I'm going to talk about a guy that, specific to the Chiefs, I think would be a really cool fit, and that's Foster Moreau. Yes. Because, uh, so, here's a, he's a big tight end, big big old boy, and he moved, I think he, he proved that he moves pretty well this week, yep. and he can be a guy that can come in um, and be a viable option as a pass catcher, but what's even more impressive is his versatility and, and how well-rounded he is, because I think he also proved... Um, that he can get after it uh, in the run game, and he and he can pass protect a little bit as well. I think he'd be a fun match for the Chiefs because obviously they already have an all-world pass-catching tight end in Travis Kelsey. Um, so throwing him out there in 12 personnel would be pretty cool because you, you're, it's not just a passing down when he's out there because obviously he can run block a little bit. So he'd be a really cool fit for the Chiefs. I think he, I think probably the third round is is probably a sweet spot for him. Um, a great tight end class this year. But a guy that like him um, that can block a little bit too, I think he, he, that's what separates him from some of the other tight ends in this class, specific to what the Chiefs uh, like to do and how he could help that team. Mark it down. I have like 10 guys I would love to talk about here, but I'm going to limit it to one for this one time unless somebody else jumps in with a second, and then I'll come back through. But uh, Darnell Savage, safety out of Maryland's my guy. I've liked him before this, and coming in here, he played. A, he looked the best out of all the safeties, in my opinion, in trying to cover slot receivers. He's the quickest, kind of has the best feel for man coverage, in my opinion. So I like that out of him. But today, what we really got to see is they played him deep a lot. So the deep safety is something he didn't do as much on film at Maryland. 
Garland. But when he's playing back there, he was making a ton of the calls for the secondary for the North team. He called out the screen that Adderley broke up that was talked about earlier. He was making all the shifts, changing the coverages, and everything like that. So just kind of seeing him understand a new playbook that quickly, along with just, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, his click and close ability is absolutely insane. It's some of the best I've seen trying to scout guys. It's very Buda Baker-like. I know a lot of people liked him coming out of Washington a few years ago. He reminds me a lot of him in the way he plays, the way he's played the game in the NFL is how Savage was used at Maryland, and I just love his communication skills that he's shown this year. Uh, for me, it's a guy from Texas A&M defensive lineman, Daylon Mack. Uh, I, I really hadn't seen much of him before this week, and I came away extremely impressed. I understand he was a top uh, recruit early on in his career, really didn't do much at Texas A&M, but kind of came on late through the through his, uh, his final season, and Put a great shrine bowl together last week, and he continued to do that this week. Mac was an immovable object, immovable all week. Took on double teams without any problem. Strong, stout, powerful hands, and I think his best football is still ahead of him. I think he's an ascending player who is really finally starting to put things together. And uh, you know, if, if the Chiefs were to move on, like from Xavier Williams, there's really nothing. You know, there's not much keeping them tied to Xavier Williams. Uh, that's Daylon Mack. I, he would be a nice piece in this in this defense in this rotation. He would really help the run defense. And so I'm I'm really intrigued by him. I want to go back and watch more of him. Uh, it, he's he was a fun prospect. One more question, guys. This is the last question of the day. I want to ask each of you. What was your favorite part of the Senior Bowl week, Craig? Uh, my favorite part of the Senior Bowl week was getting to review film with you guys. You know, it's it's one thing to be sitting down for each of us, you know, in our respective places and going over guys and talking about guys and telling each other what we see and everything like that. But being able to sit in that room with a bunch of other people that are way more important than us, scouts for the Cardinals, scouts for a bunch <laughs> of other teams, but, you know, sitting in there with the clicker, getting to see what you guys see, the way that you evaluate prospects, the, the things that you guys look for has definitely helped me. It's helped me learn, you know, certain things about certain positions that maybe I'm a little weaker at evaluating to kind of learn how you guys do your things and picking up on some of the things that you saw. So that was really fun for me. That's that's honestly, Craig. That's what I was gonna say as well. So now I'm kind of reeling. Me too. I think all of what, us. I think that, all of us are gonna say that. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head because you're just in a room with with really smart people. Um, and, and even being with you three, just being with three smart people that I know, and just and I think I even made the comment one time. It's like this is like just watching film, but you say stuff in your head, and I felt like such a nerd because I was saying so many things out loud, and just to hear people be like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, like I, I see that too, or or no, look at this, or you know whatever it is. It was just really neat um, to do that. The other thing that's really cool about just being here at Senior Bowl week is just all the people you see. I mean, it, it, I mean, day one, we're sitting two rows back from Mike Mayock and the entire Raiders scouting, you know, department. So all these guys you see on TV and stuff, they're just here. They're just normal dudes, and and just to be part of that and be in the same room as them with the, um, that was that was kind of surreal. And uh, so that's fun as well. But yeah, I mean, just this whole week was fun. I think Southside Charm uh, Restaurant was fun as well. Trina. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's an inside joke that no one gets, so sorry about that. <laughs> That'll be a story uh, for another time, guys. <laughs> but uh, but no, it just was just a fun week. Uh, so I, I agree with you, Craig. Just the, the film room probably takes the cake. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I'm going to come out from a slightly different point of view, but it's still the same thing. It's watching film with everybody, but I really like getting to go into the actual film room that the Reese's Senior Bowl sets up for everybody. Just getting to sit down at a table, you, you get a little clicker, you get to rewind stuff, talk about it a little bit while you're going through it. And like we said earlier, we watched six hours of tape one day in two different sessions, and I don't think that we had any idea either time we were in there for three hours. Uh -huh. It's just great we to get a... They had to kick us out. Yeah. <laughs> they did. They had to come by 
and tell everybody it's time to go. And when you're in there too, two tables down from us, there's scouts from teams watching the exact same film we are. They're talking to some other people that they joined with about it. And you get to pick up just on little stuff that you wouldn't think about. But even more than that, just getting to watch with other people, just have this conversation about it. It's a lot of fun. Like I would have a blast doing this by myself and I do it home all the time, but it's so much better to get to sit down as a group of people, watch some film, talk about it. And then even, I guess one other thing too, we kind of alluded to it earlier, little jokes like the thunder joke and Andy Isabella's hand catching are my personal favorites, Ryquel Armstead running back out of Temple. And just um, any running back really just gets under Kent's skin because he, he was not a fan of any of them. So like Dexter Williams scoring like 88 touchdowns this weekend was just fantastic. Every single one to the end zone every time because you can't drag <laughs> running backs to the you can't drag anybody to the ground. It's you not live behind the line of scrimmage. So Dex, finishing it for Dex finishes them all, scores all these touchdowns. Finally, this third day of practice, Jermaine Pratt chases him down 60 yards downfield, five yards out of bounds, and throws him to the ground just because he runs them all out. It wasn't malicious, but he chased them down. Funny, uh, for the North team practice today, it just came out the top in speeds for everybody. Pratt had the highest speed of the day, and I guarantee you it was chasing down Dexter Williams trying to finish off a run. So just little inside jokes like that had just made this week so much more fun and passed a lot of time. So that's what it is for me, film watching inside jokes with these other fellow nerds over here. It was the film room for me, obviously, because like I seriously was my favorite thing. But uh, the other thing I really enjoyed about this was going out and getting to interview prospects for a couple minutes, seeing some of these guys in this setting, getting an idea of what kind of makeup they they have. Uh, some guys came off extremely poorly. Uh, some guys, I'm not saying their names. Uh, that would, you know, uh, that would be uh, bad of me. Uh, but <laughs> I, I really enjoyed getting to, to know Rocky Sin a little bit, Amani or Awarie. Corey Valentine looked like, I, th- I thought, you know, it was just really cool to see a guy like him come through here. Um, but overall, I, that was a really cool experience, getting to talk some of these guys face-to-face. We've got some sound bites I'm sure we're going to use over time, and uh, that'll, that'll be pretty cool. That's going to do it for the final Senior Bowl edition of the uh, Arrowhead Pride Laboratory. Draft season is upon us, folks. We are going to My time. really, really cool stuff here. We'll be announcing shortly. Thank you all for listening. I hope you had a good time getting a feel for what we, uh, what we had to see this evening. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.